0: Welcome to the Financially Intentional Podcast, the podcast all things personal finance, and hopefully some things you didn't even know you needed to know. I'm your host, Naseema McElroy, and my goal is to bring you topics and experts that will encourage you to take at least one actionable step that will aid you on your path to financial Welcome to episode 13 of the Financially Intentional Podcast. What's up, my financially intentional people? You are in for a treat today because I am joined with my brother from another mother, Theo Jones, which happens to be the last name of my first baby daddy. So, you know, we got a lot in common here. Oh, yeah. uh... I'm in the building. (laughs) (laughs) he's the homie in real life but theo is gonna put you up on game on so many things and i just want to say thank you so much theo it is my honor and my pleasure to have you on my podcast
1: oh no the pleasure's all mine i'm i got butterflies i don't know why i'm so nervous like we haven't spoke like eight million times right
0: (laughs) well we all talk like every day right
1: right (laughs) (laughs)
0: anyway theo i just want to jump into your story because i want people to understand how bomb you are so share a little bit of your background as a nurse as a business owner and as a weekend white coat investor
1: yes 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 I'm, i'm excited about this so if you guys did not pay attention to the intro my name is theo jones i am a nurse practitioner before that i was a registered nurse i did ICU, trauma surgery in the OR. And before that, I was an LPN. I was a corrections nurse. And before that, I was a nurse, a CNA as a nursing student. I don't tell people this story, but I was a, a, a nursing student CNA down the VA. And that was probably one of the worst things I've ever done. But, um, not the worst job I've ever had for money, but one of the worst things I've done in this field. So <laughs> that's always fun.
0: But the experience you got, the experience is priceless.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's something to be said about being in a hospital overnight with a bunch of combat trained veterans with dementia that think you stole their wallet and <laughs> make it interesting. So, yeah. It was it was fun. It was a very rewarding situation, but that's something I probably won't do again. But I have been in this field for about eight years now, I think. Yeah, so five so I'm going on five years as an NP. I'm renewing in September this year, so ooh, time flies when you're having fun, right? So it's been five years as an NP, eight years total from like nursing to like NP all the way through. And I am a practice owner. I am the practice owner of Weekend White Coat concierge which is a concierge medicine practice, or what I like to say, a healthcare company, because we focus on a lot of things. We focus on telemedicine, concierge membership, lab testing, point-of-care testing, and I'm going to break into workplace wellness at some point, so that'll be like a business-to-business kind of gig, so I'm working on it now, actually. Other than that, I've been dying to do like a a flat out, like podcast episode with you, where we just kind of knock down, drag out, talk about this money and these stories and these businesses and kind of, you know, see where the growth can come from in the future, you know, cause we got, we got so much stuff to cover in so little time. So it's going to be fun.
0: What I, what I want people to understand is just, just listening to Theo's story, just like how many opportunities there are for you within the field of nursing, but just in life in general. And I think that oftentimes we limit ourselves to what we see or what we're exposed to. But this is an opportunity and the reason why you're hopefully listening to this podcast to know that there are so many things that you can be doing with your life and taking those things that you're really good at and creating businesses around or creating opportunities for yourselves or other people around. So I want to know what that transition was like from being you know, a bedside nurse, OR nurse to opening your own concierge practice.
1: Oh my God. So that was a rough one. Cause you know, they don't train you on business in nursing school. They don't train you on business in school. So learning- They don't train
0: you on business in business school, like entrepreneurship. They no. train you how to work for other people, by the way. So yes. a yes, lot of, most people who are entrepreneurs, like get it from the mud.
1: Like... Right. For real though, because like, you know, I took an MBA program and I did not learn how to be an entrepreneur. I just I just learned how to do PowerPoints, run operations <laughs> and, you know- do enough to get through a marketing session and some accounting. So, you know, put me on a spreadsheet. That's it, you know, but other than that, so, you know, that transition was very interesting because I had to learn how to be sell. We don't learn to sell at all. That's probably one of the biggest things that we need to learn how to do was like entrepreneurs, because we don't all have that ability. You know, I, I'm not a car salesman. I'm not a, you know, if somebody if i walk into a patient's room and i say hey this is the treatment option i'm not going to sell them I'm just going to tell them this is your option. This is your choice. So, coming from a field where we give so many options and choices to patients, it's, it was kind of hard to make that transition to sell to people on the front end and back end when you when you're like trying to get people to sign up because yeah, I think a,
0: yeah, a lot of people just think if you, if you build it, they will come. But most of your business efforts aren't around the services you provide. It's not about the things that you do within. Your business is how do you attract people to your business and that is hard especially if you're not not a natural salesperson or that's just something that you were never taught so thank you for acknowledging that right
1: i'm an introvert i'm an introvert with extrovert tendencies so me me attracting people that's 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 a that's a feat because i gotta like (laughs) recharge the battery right break out the shell Say, hey, you know, Theo, this is what I do. And you're selling trust because these days, most people don't even remember the last time they seen like their primary care provider. Right. So, I mean, and I get that question a lot. You know, do we do we even need primary care providers these days when we can just use the Internet? Well, the problem is, you know, I put in all these years of school. To learn to synthesize that information. You didn't. You can go on WebMD and get your anxiety so jacked up that you might need Xanax before you actually get to the actual problem. So I think a lot of times, you know, in business. You spend some time trying to tell your customers how you're solving that pain point without them even realizing. I mean, when you start a business, most people think like, Oh my God, I'm going to get so much support. It is not filled with dreams. If you build it, they will not come. One, people need to know that you're there. If nobody knows that you're there, then how in the fuck are you going to grow your business? Two, your money is in strangers pockets. You cannot depend on family and friends. Because they won't repost you, they won't retweet you, they won't bring you up at events, they won't they won't say a damn thing, and you will just be like, "Why oh, y'all didn't support me?" It's not until you get big, you know, it's not until you you know you you hit a hundred grand, a hundred thousand followers, or you you know you're sitting on the news where they're like, "Oh my god, let's support them, let's repost them because they've already made it big." Strangers believe in you more than your own people, believe it or not. So
0: but even then you still don't get the love automatically like you think would think you still have to no. sell yourself every day you have to put yourself out there every day.
1: yes, I mean, I'm talking about like all abHs always be hustling I mean sometimes it gets old, but you know after you learn that when you cannot sell something, you can't pay your bills. That shit is like brand spanking new every day because being an entrepreneur, that money come a lot differently than, you know, working at a job because you you go in, you punch that clock, you know, that money coming every two weeks as an entrepreneur, you know, that money is going to trickle in, you know, Stripe pay out every once in a while, square pay out when they ready. So, you know, all I'm saying is, you know, you got to really get out here and sell as a hundred percent of the time, not half-assed Cause if you half-assed it, your kids gonna starve. You can't save for retirement. You can't, you can't get stuff done. That was probably, that, that was the biggest transition that was, I would say 100% was selling, selling yourself, selling your product and getting out there in front of the faces of the people who are going to be prospective buyers. So that was one of the transitions. The other transition was coming, coming from bedside to a provider. People really sleep on that transition. Being a provider coming from a registered nurse is like, a dog taking his own leash. I mean, I'm not comparing us to dogs, but it's just the, it's just the, it's the visual of it, of like, you're usually taking orders. Right. You go from taking orders to giving the orders, and knowing that somebody's life is in your hands—that is a heavy weight, and that is a hell of a transition in your first year to deal with, because that is one of the biggest things I struggle with. After my first year, I had a I had a really cushy like like fellowship doing acute pain management, and I had a lot of support around me, so I I could call somebody and say, "Hey, I need this," or I could call somebody and say, "Hey, what do you think of this?" or we'll bounce ideas off of them. But once I left that fellowship and I took the a, a, a hospitalist job full time that's when all shit hit the fan my first hospitalist gig i was buried i was like oh my god i feel dep- i was getting about 14 15 patients a day i was i was rounding on eight patients admitting like six patients like minimum admitting admitting six meanwhile you know i'm working for this practice and that, that was the baseline but the like you know the other doctors that were like employed by the hospital they were like on, they were taking specific admitter shifts. they were only doing admissions and not rounding they were just doing straight admissions so i'm like man i I'm getting worked. I got. Yeah, but wait, can you explain?
0: <laughs> can you explain what a hospitalist does for people that don't know, and a lot of people don't know that nurse practitioners can actually be hospitalists. But explain that for the people.
1: Sure. Yeah. So a hospitalist is basically an internal medicine provider that rounds on the med surge floors. So basically, we get a a roster of patients that are coming in for medicine reasons because not everybody coming into the hospital, coming for surgery, not every patient coming into the hospital for emergency. Sometimes they just get admitted and they need a doctor while they're there to organize their care and just do the general day-to-day things. So most of the time when patients come to the hospital with COPD, or if a patient comes to the hospital with like congestive heart failure, most of the time it's the hospitalist that manages it. We, we just do medicine. So n- kind of like primary care, but like jacked up hospital steroids with more power. So we yeah, can do And that. then
0: there's a, there's a separate hospitalist for OB services. So for labor and delivery and all, and GYN and all those services. And then there's an intensivist, which does like the ICU stuff, the more really yeah. acute serious critical care kind of so just for people who don't know and don't work in the hospitals even if you are in medical field you might not know what hospitalists do so just want to give you a background like that's a lot of responsibility
1: it's a hell of a responsibility my phone didn't stop ringing it's like i would get there at seven so it would be two hours a call so it would be seven in the morning two hours a call so from seven to nine i'd be on call From nine to five, I would work my shift. And then from five to seven, I would still be on call. So my phone was constantly ringing from seven to seven every day, every day from seven to seven. And it's always the same thing. Nurses asking questions, the ER flow doctor calling me saying, hey, we got admissions. So it was a lot of responsibility. And I mean, in If you listen close in, you will start to hear really why I started my own practice in the midst of all this, (laughs) because one, I I built the knowledge up. Like I I got my ass kicked so bad that either I had to either drown or get good at my job and excel. So my only choice was to get good at my job and excel because I, I, I paid too much money for this degree to be like, Nah, I ain't doing this no more. (laughs) So hospitals was a lot of, a lot of responsibility. And eventually I ended up leaving that job, going to another hospitalist gig and an Annapolis here in Maryland. And that job was a little bit more cushy, but you know, I left that job for another reason that I'll probably get into later, which is going to be interesting. I uh, I ended up getting COVID for the first time and around Christmas and I had this medical director who just kept asking me to come back to work, and I told him that I was sick, and he was just like, uh, "Well, everybody gets sick. At this point, it's just an annoyance." And I was like, "Annoyance? Huh? Okay, here I go. I quit. You feel me?" <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where it's just like after a while. After you start to build yourself, it's just what are you going to take and what are you not going to take? And just kind of goes down to my phrase and, you know, fuck that job. You know, that is
0: <laughs> that yes. is. A-
1: Breeze, but breeze. I think
0: I think what you're talking about kind of is symbolic to like the healthcare system right now, the burnout that a lot of us are feeling, and just like this impending doom that a lot of us are feeling because the healthcare system is broken, and a lot of us are are knowing from the inside that it's about to implode. But, you know, I feel like instead of you kind of going to that point where you felt like you don't have a lot of choices or you need to leave the profession, you took it upon yourself to start your own practice as a form of a solution, because I feel like that's what's actually happening. A lot of people are kind of stepping outside of the box and creating their own solutions to our broken healthcare system and your concierge service. Is a representation of that. So yeah, I mean, it it sounds like you were kind of pushed out a little bit, but pushed out because you wasn't about to you wasn't about to take what you didn't have to take.
1: <laughs> Not about
0: that. Yeah. At
1: this point, I had already missed Christmas. Like I was literally like in, in like a protective gown on Christmas. Like, all right, guys, hey, happy happy holidays. But it's just like now you're just being rude to me. Come on now, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it was a whole nother energy, and it it was just so unfortunate because I was so careful. Like I got all my boosters, and you know, I I was treating. I got it from a patient's a patient's wife while I was getting on the elevator headed to my car. I took my mask off for like point zero zero one of a second to like get on the elevator and this lady ran behind me and started talking to me next thing you know i come to work the next day and i'm looking i'm looking like run down 10 times as worse as a usual hospitalist and i was like i'm sick that's all i could think i'm sick and i need to go get tested because this is ridiculous yeah yep yeah, they did me in. And you're right. You know, we, it's kind of a renaissance right now. I would say, out of the pandemic, it was a renaissance of nurse practitioners and nurses that just kind of flat out went into business for themselves. You got all these med spas, you got all these IV hydration businesses, you got, you know, other nurse practitioners starting primary care practices. This is kind of our pushback to the healthcare system saying, listen, we ain't going to take this shit no more. You know, we even got, we got locum NPs out here, locum tenant NPs taking, taking locums jobs all over the country and traveling and, you know, making premium going into business for themselves as providers. And I'm so proud of all of these entrepreneurs that are blazing at trails. You know, we, we even got people that are, you know, doing digital, digital products like you, which I've, you know, from day and one, you. You know, <laughs> that, oh yes. You know, I, I love The, I love the manifesto, the Freedom Manifesto Mm -hmm. series. I was so excited about that. And I was so excited to have you in the, have you do a guest chapter. And, Honestly, I was going to tell you, was it Black Friday? Black Friday. I updated the book and I had a great Black Friday. So a lot of people got a chance to read the chapter recently. Yay. So that was really cool. But We haven't
0: we haven't gotten there because we're going to talk about that as well, but we're still talking about your concierge sure. service and the origins of that and, you know, just how you're changing the game in healthcare.
1: Yes. So, all right. So I'll, I'll give you the origin story, right? So it's it's a few. So the first one, you know how you just, you know, when, once you start to, you know, develop this power to do things in your life, right? So I, I had this newfound ability to write prescriptions. I had this newfound ability to, you know, give medical information. And the first thing that everybody around you start to do is they call you and ask you for advice. And as, like, Hey, you know, I ain't feeling well. You think you write me a note? I'm not feeling well. You think you can, you know, then you can send me a Z-Pack to the pharmacy and it's just kind of like, whoa, 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 I should be getting paid for this. Why am I doing this for free? This makes no sense at all. And after a while, it started to, you know, be one of those things where like, I'm going to charge for this, right? Because everybody's just calling my personal phone and asking me for favors at this point. It's not really, it's not really me doing any work. They just asking me for favors. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to charge for this. My original iteration was like, a month, unlimited telemedicine, right? That was my first offer. Yeah, I know. It's crazy to think now, right? But that was originally my first offer. It was like 20 bucks a month, unlimited telemedicine and people were signing up for it to this day. I still have about two or three patients that were like grandfathered in on that deal. And I mean, they love it. I don't think they're going anywhere. I mean, talk about like low turnover rate, like concierge medicine has, a, at least my practice has a low turnover rate because they love it here. It's a a, a whole different change in how we approach medicine. But from there... I started to come up with more, you know, with a better idea, with a more cohesive practice, because what I started to realize, and this is before the pandemic where I started this business where everybody was like, oh, telemedicine here, telemedicine there. What I realized is that it was a huge gap in healthcare where Patients were not getting primary care at all. A lot of people don't, like I said before, most people don't know the last time they've seen their primary care provider. They can't even name one. They, it's just some person printed on their insurance card, no face, no case. They just, they just there for the for the hell of it. So it made me think, you know, how can I revolutionize this game or, or change this idea of how we face our primary care issues? Because most of the time you don't establish a good relationship with your provider. You just go to do your physical surgery you for labs. That's it. You know, meanwhile, my idea was to foster relationships with patients where I could talk to them, you know, if they want to, they could text me daily, you know, and I'd be like, Hey, you know, I, I want to be that provider where you're comfortable enough to invite me to Thanksgiving dinner, but I'm polite enough to say, nah, I'm good. Cause I don't eat a bite food. <laughs> So the, the concierge game is really interesting because I wanted to make it old school, but I wanted to give it a new school twist. So what I really, really like that I did is that I merged the idea of like a mobile app, like a digital first care with old school house calls. So a lot of my patients, they, they get old school house calls, but you know, it's a digital practice. The beauty of it is that the practice is very lean. Most days I could probably run it from my cell phone. But the back end is very comprehensive and streamlined because, you know, I have I got a tech stack that I use. You work in you you in the Silicon Valley energy. I have a tech stack that I use to automate a lot of the processes. I also have like virtual assistants working in the background to help make things make things feasible and to make it work. So, I mean, you're familiar with that. So. With those steps, I was able to create this lean practice that gave me a lot more freedom than I would have if I was continuously working in a hospital as a hospitalist. Because what you what you tend to do as a hospitalist you walk in and you don't stop running from seven to seven. And you do also, that. So you're seven operating
0: days under old systems that are antiquated mm-hmm. and aren't really mm-hmm. practical or safe (laughs) for patient care, like the two things, like, because like in healthcare, the way that things get implemented, like we're so far behind. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a place, I'm in the heart of Silicon Valley where I work, all my patients work in tech. We can't even get hot water to the rooms. Like if you understand like that kind of concept, like we're like that, like our buildings are old, like it's a whole bunch of stuff that needs, that just needs to be fixed. I mean, like communication, like yeah. all those kind of things. So now you're able to take, because you're doing your own practice, you're able to take technology because you can implement it on your own terms yes. instead of being working under somebody else's systems. And yes. so that changes the game, but being doing this for now for a couple of years, what are some things that you wish you would have implemented earlier?
1: Oh man. I wish earlier, I wish I would have like automated off the bat because what you'll start to find is that, you know, it's feast of famine. And sometimes with patient's requests, when you give somebody unlimited access, some days they feel like, Oh, I'm good. And then the next day or the next week or the next few hours, everybody has something that they need. You know what I mean? And if you don't have a system, you're going to drown. So you know, most of the time, most of the time, I'm the full-time provider. I have other providers that pop in and not to do things for me, but most of the time, you know, on the other end of the, of the stack, you know, I'm the one that's, you know, approving the medications and I'm the one that's like overseeing everything because, you know, I'm the CEO of the business. So everything starts and ends with me in a sense, which is probably unhealthy, but I wish I really put automation in place. I really also wish that I started with my own like EMR mobile app that wasn't the first thing I did so that the first thing I started with was somebody else's platform and then I saw this video by what is that, gentlemen? Ian Ian Dunlap, I mean, he was talking about owning his own, like owning your own process, owning your own system. Because like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they could shut you down at any time. I mean, we've seen it like several times in the last couple of years where they can just cut you, your influence out the sphere in like a matter of seconds. And I really wanted to have control over my own data. I wanted to have control over my patients, how they interacted with me, because when somebody else builds a system, it really changes how that patient interacts with you. You know, I can't, I can't take somebody else's system and say, Hey, I want my patient to be able to be, I want my patient to be able to directly reach out to me and, and, and press a button to get me in the matter of seconds, right? On other people's platforms, you have to follow by their rules because they set up this generic system, right? And for me, I set the system specifically tailored to me and how I want to interact with my patients. So I really wish I would have started out with my Wait, own. Wait,
0: how do you develop your own app, your own EMR app, when there's so many compliance issues, when you're mm-hmm. compliance and privacy issues, when you're dealing with healthcare,
1: Yeah. So that's an amazing question. So there are a lot of teams out here who previously developed apps for larger companies and they freelance their work. So it's easy to reach out to one of these like teams who's already freelanced and work with teams like Epic, work with teams like Meditech or work with teams, you know, like Practice Fusion to help put together your own system and brand it appropriately for your practice. So it's, it's, it's easy as hell, but it's also a pricey upfront investment that most people are probably not willing to make. (laughs) (laughs) Most people are not willing to make that investment, you know, but you know, I'm, I believed in what I was doing. I mean, I still believe in what I'm doing. I didn't mean to make it sound past tense, but I believe, I believe in what I'm doing in the movement that I'm putting in place because Let's be honest. You know, you don't see too many people, you know, invested in trying to change the landscape of healthcare. It's more of a rebellion or like a disruption to the the typical system that we have because, you know, the the primary care system we have now is broken, and we've seen that a lot during COVID because they got their teeth pulled out. Something terrible. I mean when the when the first rounds of vaccines went out it should have been to the primary care offices and not the hospitals because the primary care offices would have been able to offload the stress that was on the healthcare system already but you know government be governmenting so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but i want to talk about like you Having the wherewithal to invest in yourself, because I think simultaneously, as you were coming up in your nursing journey, you were also expanding the information that you had around like investing, like monetarily in yourself and growing your wealth. So I want to talk about like that journey that was happening simultaneously.
1: Yes. So, okay. So my first, so I was, I have always been an investor, right? So when I was like a freshman in college, this was like around the time that the, like the, that the automotive, like the big GM and Ford, like when we, when it got bailed out and the economy was crashing and Obama like bailed out all the big companies that were too big to fail, quote unquote. And, you know, I was like nineteen, and I was seeing like Southwest Airlines fail to, to high heavens. Southwest Airlines was actually the first stock that I bought. I bought it at like six eighty seven, and then I sold it like when it hit like twenty something. But I was like plowing money into those shares, so I, that was my first investment foray. And then like after that, you know, I was just like. Like of days cool. I completely forgot about it. I was just living on my laurels because I was like, I made a couple bucks on this. And uh, it wasn't until after I finished nursing school and I was like at my, I was at the, I was at the hospital working a night shift with a, with a friend of mine who who we're close to to this day. Tim, he looks over at me. He says, Hey, how'd you doing your 401k this year? And I was like, I don't know. Let me check. And that, and it was it was such a weird feeling because like that's not a question you get every day, right? How's you doing your 401 k this year? And he was like, "Oh well, you know, I beat the market. I did eighteen percent, and I looked at mine, and I did like three percent." And I remember thinking to myself, "Like, what the? F- I did three percent. How did I lose money? You know, because you know, basically FD, look,
0: inflation. Yeah, it's
1: inflation <laughs> fees. And I'm like, I lost money yeah. on an investment. And from there, I took the time to actually buckle down. Read everything that I could get my hands on. I mean, I consumed everything,
0: like every book. Wait, hard pause. Let me just say, if this is not a reminder for you to check your 401k, first of all, make sure that the money that's in your 401k, your 403b is actually invested, but actually look at the returns. Now, this year, you're going to see some negatives, but you need to look at the historical returns. If you over the last couple of years have not been beating the market because this is the longest stretch of a recovery that we've had, meaning that we haven't had any recessions in the longest stretch of time in history, you should have seen double digit growth every year. So this is a time for you to check in. And if you don't know how to do that, call the 800 number. First of all, call HR to get the 800 number if you don't know. To call your 401k administrators and ask them over the last five, 10, however many years you want to go back, what has been my rate of return? And if it hasn't been double digits for any years before 2022, then you need to check what you're invested in. So this is just one of those hard thoughts. I just want to give you an action item because this is an example of not monitoring your 401k. So now you're at a point, Theo, where you're getting educated in the background and how did that oh, yeah. turn out?
1: <laughs> oh, listen! I went from zero to one hundred because I went from three percent that one year to eighteen percent the next year. I think the best year I had, I, I had a nineteen percent year in the stock market in my four. I've
0: been having like twenties. 21, 22% years in my 401k, my, four, I mean my 403b. Well, both my 401k and my 403b, which are with Vanguard and Valic. I
1: was blowing that shit up in water. It. Yes. <laughs> I was bl- Listen, once I figured out what to actually do because one of the issues that you start to see is that they give you a target date fund, a target, a target date fund is, is so many fees attached to a target date fund that people don't really look at it and understand how much money they're taking out of their own pockets. Right. So but I want to just thing.
0: say, like, if that's the only thing that you're invested in and that's OK, that's fine. But once you know <laughs> that you don't have to pay all of those fees and. And you could probably be getting better returns by just simply investing in an index fund. And that's all I do. I don't do anything else but invest in an index fund. I I might have like 10% in like a bonds fund. But other than that, I just do index funds. So um, if you know that that's all you have to do and then not pay all those extra fees, because what happens and the reason why target date funds have fees is because it's more actively managed, meaning that there's more human hands involved a- instead of just like a, something based off of an index that can be automated. Mm-hmm. Those things are going to cost less because there's no human hands involved. But when you mm-hmm. do actively manage, there's hands involved. And so the fees, because you have to pay humans are going to be higher. So that's why target day funds are more expensive, but you can even craft your own target day fund. If you want it to look exactly like your target day fund, it'll, you'll go into your target day fund. It'll show you what it's invested in. And then every year, you could just go in and replicate those funds. You go in, search your funds in your account and say, it's invested in X, Y, and Z. I'll invest it myself in X, Y, and Z. If you want to do that. But like I said, I don't even do that because that's too much work for me. I just put all my money in index funds.
1: Yeah. I mean, the easiest way to do it, VTI, XUS, b Yeah. But
0: what three it's going to look three. like in your retirement account is the hack is... You always have to have an index fund in your retirement account. It's actually a legal requirement for 401ks at least. What you do, do a a sort of all the funds by fees. (laughs) And then you'll see something that says something, something index. And you do it like a Vanguard index or a Fidelity index or something like that within your account. And that's your index fund. But if you don't even want to do that, call customer service and say, can you move my funds to an index fund? Just like that, it's too
1: easy. Too, too easy to actually make easy, money. Too, <laughs> too easy. Too easy to make money. <laughs>
0: but people are scared, and I actually had this conversation with my dude this morning because he has a daughter that's eleven, and I was like, "Did you ever get her four hundred one k? I mean, her five twenty nine set up?" And he was like, "No, I just haven't had time. You know, life is." I say, "Okay, we're not going to do that." So you have a meeting at twelve, right? I was like, "Do it during your meeting, right?" Just, just set it up. He was like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna talk to my investment and advisor." I'm like, "No, you don't have to do that. No, he, you can, you can do it real quick on the phone while you're in your meeting." And literally, he did. And like five minutes later, he texts me. You know what I'm saying? And it was done. Yeah. And that's yeah. h- how simple it can be. But we put all these roadblocks in our head. But anyway, that's my rant. I'm done. We want to hear about the. We don't want to hear about how people get on my nerves. So
1: (laughs) I mean, I probably mirror a lot of things that she's saying, you know, with the, when they really started to bring trading to the people online, it it was a revolution because once upon a time you had to have a stockbroker that you called to invest. Now you can pick up your phone. It tap a few buttons and then boom, you're in the market. Like it's no problem. And, but I think,
0: really- and that's the whole thing is that I don't want to undermine the fact that these are things that have changed recently, like in the last five years. And it was the Robin Hoods and the, you know, the other brokerage, the discount brokerages that kind of revolutionized this practice. But these are things that are new but so is instagram so is tiktok and i bet you you have those accounts and it probably took you longer to set it up and if you're doing any kind of video editing, now you can be a fucking trader you know so it's just like let's stop playing ourselves
1: right we can make money out our pockets every day so yes ain't no games here chill
0: out (laughs) (laughs) and then then, first of all these are the rants that me and theo having the background on instagram uh, every day
1: (laughs) every day (laughs) All of the DMs because it's just like look look at these people not trying to get no money.
0: Right. Right. You, know
1: I mean? you go ahead and be broke, you know. Right. One of the greatest transformations of wealth of all time is happening right now. You just want to be broke. That's right. You and do that. It's,
0: people don't understand. I'm I'm trying to tell the people. I'm trying to tell the people. If you don't want to listen to me, maybe you'll listen to a white person that'll tell you, but listen to somebody.
1: Right. <laughs> Listen to somebody, please
0: help. Right, <laughs> but like, anyway, God, so you, so you learn. You went from three percent to eighteen percent the next year, and from no there time. it's just like. And I know how you are because you like me. Like we we all in. Like once we we're committed to something and we're learning about something, you're all in. And so you will be yeah. putting me up on game on stuff because I'll be like, what? What are you yeah. talking about? Like what are yeah. what are these alt? All all alternative investments. All yeah. I'm just like, boy, I can't.
1: So I, so, you know, I started to become a little bit prolific in other areas. So I've, I've started to get into alternative investments. One thing that I've really, I've really been all about this investing in art, like fine art investment. Listen, I've done, I think this in the last two years, I did 34% on my investment of fine art so, you, I, so I, you
0: knocking you knocking your 18% out the water boo like yeah, I 34%, that water. 34%. Is unheard of the investment returns like yeah, what
1: Yeah, and like you know we're what talking
0: people, about I'm talking about becoming a millionaire off of 7% okay he out here 35% what
1: yeah it, it's so weird because when I say like y'all not investing in fine art and everybody in the room just look at me like what the fuck is this guy talking about and I'm like listen I just put my money in a Basquiat and I almost that shit so you trying to tell me you've never heard of that or like- i mean
0: jay-z i think jay-z is the one who kind of brought it to at least black people's attention like oh people do that like yeah. yes and it has been around forever it has kind of been one of those things before that is like it you have to know somebody that is doing it and it's kind of like an inner circle thing but now just like instagram facebook and TikTok is a social media platform. It's a platform. There are platforms that you can use that are accessible to everyone.
1: Yep. And all you gotta do is jump on there. You know, find find the piece that you're looking for, look at the, the invest the investment prospectus and you know, if that's the one you want to pick, just ball with it. I think my first real foray, I came across this study, well, I guess the numbers mocked up by Citibank. And they were saying that fine art investment beat the S P, you know, ten years straight. And nobody talks about it. So I was like, let me find my way to get myself into this game to see if I can grow. And I came across a few things. So one thing that I came across was Masterworks.io. So with Masterworks, initially, when you start out there, you have to be an accredited investor. And if you don't know what an accredited investor is, that's when you have a net worth of a million dollars. Or if you earn over 250000 in a year or something along those lines. So those are two qualifying conditions to be an accredited investor. Investor, so you had to be an accredited investor to get into the the door with those deals, as well as some other real estate deals I came across. But I didn't get into those. But but I came across it, and we reviewed. I, I got on the phone with somebody old school style, and we reviewed some current like offerings. And I ended up buying into two paintings: a George Condo painting and a Basquiat painting. And I dumped money into those two. And then over the years I started to buy more art. So I like to buy, I like to buy art from a few different places. This is what I called Touch of Modern. I usually come across like a lot of original sketches from like Matisse or like all of these like artists who had like hidden works, but they're like prolific and that they're in like like all these other museums across the country, you or you go on crap. This is evading me, but I go on almost every. I think it's like DDT or something like that, and that's like a that's like a, a company that teamed up with the artist cause I get a lot of his I get a lot of his work. If you ever like. At my place, I got, like, cause figures, and I got the books, and, like, I got all types of cool stuff. Like, I got paintings around, like, boxed up that I'm going to eventually put up once I get another house. But it's, it's like, art. Like, like, it's a really cool investment to get into because, one, you get a chance to look at it, and it gets to beautify your space as it appreciates. And at the same time, it's one hell of a tax give if you do it right, you know? I, I I see the painting on the wall, so I was like, "Look at that cool painting behind yeah, so I, like, <laughs> I did
0: buy my daughter's painting that she insists that I put up every day. It's beautiful. I, I'd rather recycle them, but you know, you got to appease your kids. You got you got to make them feel seen. But anyway, so not only have you upped your game in investing, you actually teach people how to invest, and this is where your books come in. You're, you're, you're a creator. You are, you know, you have your own digital products. So tell people, you know, what you, what offerings you have.
1: Yes. So one of my favorite things that I've done outside of working with my business partner, Mark, we did the, we did the first book white coat green bands that was the first book we did but outside of that i really really put a lot of love into the freedom manifesto this whole concept of saying fuck that job is a a mindset because jobs have become one of those things that overstep their boundaries in your life these days they just say hey
0: habitual line steppers
1: habitual line steppers (laughs) we want you to show up we don't care if you're sick we need somebody here the needs of the unit precede you the needs of the unit should not precede me. I'm a human being. I have feelings. I'm going to clock in when I feel right. Not when you want me to. So after a while, you start to feel like, fuck this job. And that mindset kind of grows into a lifestyle where you want to use that job or leverage that position that you're in to build or lifestyle design what you want to do with your life so that that job is optional, not you being optional. People forget that we, we live in a country where employment is at will, meaning they can fire your ass at their will whenever they want because they said so on a blue moon. So when you realize how expendable you are to these employers that you, you know, give your life to, you'd be like, man, fuck this potluck, fuck that shirt, fuck them shoes your manager walked in with, it. you know, I don't care. I'm going to do my thing. It's, it's easy to get into business. This is one of the easiest times in life to get into business. You can literally open up an app on your phone, be an Uber driver, be like a little flex Amazon deliverer. Those are businesses. It's a gig economy, but those are businesses. You can go on fiber. You can sell your services. You can sell, you know, video editing. You can sell advice. You can start a consulting business. There's so many things that you can do in this economy to i guess what you call side hustling and the fact that you're still dependent on this job that's pissing you off every day and you're unhealthy or you know you're depressed because all you do is work and you give into the demands of a job and you don't have no free time yourself that's why we come up with this idea we say fuck that job we need a freedom manifesto so what i did was i wrote the book on the freedom manifesto you know, I give some tools to say, Hey, this is how you can gain your freedom and say, fuck that job. And, and it always starts with the same thing. It's always some dead and ass job that want you to give more than what they're offering. You know, this, this, these be those places that, that want you to have a bachelor's degree, but only pay 12 50 you know, so fuck that job. The Freedom Manifesto is one of my favorite, one of my favorite things I've done in a while. It's kind of like one of those things where you always want to add to it to make it a masterpiece. So I always tweak it. So I I did some like video, I did some video lectures inside of it after I wrote the book and I like, I remastered it. Every once in a while, I just go in and add something. I think I recently added like a, like a business credit. I added a business credit thing. I added like, you know, travel reward point hacking for freedom. I added, I added you know, leveraging income with coin. So on, I did a now, lot of Theo. fun stuff Come with it. Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of fun stuff. You know, people always like sleep on this cryptocurrency thing. Actually, in my practice, I started taking cryptocurrency as a form of payment. And uh, everybody always say, well, what if it tanks? What if it doubles? What if it triples? You know? We seen it go from five thousand to sixty thousand per coin. And you're trying to tell me that if you had the chance to take your dollar and turn your dollar to a dollar and ten cent every day, every hour, to the point that is five dollars from an original investment of one dollar, you're not gonna do it? So I'm going to take that payment in crypto. I'm going to take that payment in cash, especially when inflation hitting almost like, what, nine, almost 9%? We're at,
0: we're at 8% right now. Yeah.
1: So you're trying to tell me, at, at, you know, you your dollar is worth 92 cent now. you trying to tell me if I took a Bitcoin, you know, and I gained on it when the market moved that I'm in the wrong spot. Listen, I, I started I started taking payment on I started taking payment on the crypto when Bitcoin was like thirty four thousand or something along that line. I was taking payments from like several clients. It went to sixty five thousand that same year and I doubled my effective gain in that market. So I doubled the money that I took in business and I used that to become a cushion for my business. Just like Elon Musk started taking Bitcoin to pay for Teslas. He ended up selling off $3 billion worth of Bitcoin, which was cheaper than what he got. I did the same thing. I just applied it on a small scale business that I own. So people overlook that strategy, but I talked about it a little bit and how to kind of get into it. So there's a lot of different things that we can do to leverage other systems to create our freedom.
0: Well, do you guys understand why Theo was my homie? Because... going on and he's one of those people that's about that action and one of those resources that I know I can count on and like I said learn and grow from so this these are like people that you need to have in your network and I choose my network Theo is all the way across the country. We never even met in person before. But we talk nah. like we talk yeah. like all the time. And that's even weird to think. Like, oh I've never even met you in person, but that's my brother. You know, so
1: <laughs> follow <laughs> social media, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's the whole thing, is that you need to curate your social media if that's what you're gonna be on to replicate the people and the situations that you want to be around. But, you know, Theo, you have dropped so many gems. I just want you to let people know how they can connect with you, how they can get these manifestos and the other digital resources that you have, or maybe even become a concierge client if you're in the Baltimore Be More area.
1: Yeah, so definitely. So if you're interested in getting a manifesto, you can go to my profile. It is go in a white coat. (laughs) <laughs> yes go he's in the, the white goat. coat he's
0: the goat yeah
1: go in the white you can just hit the link in the bio you can just grab the manifesto it's one of the first things in there if you are interested in being a concierge patient weekendwhitecoat.com or you can just download the weekend white coat app from your apple store or your android store i'm not on amazon yet i'm not on i'm not on the other marketplaces yet but i'll be there soon trust me
0: so, do you take patients that aren't in your area and just do like telephone concierge, or do they have yep. to be in your area?
1: Okay. No, nope, I'm licensed in California, licensed hey. in Florida. So if you if you if you want to call if you want to send them my witness the same, way, just let me know.
0: Definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, you know um, I'll, I'll be sending people your way. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for dropping so many gems on us, and I'm always stuff. Uh, Make sure you guys check him out. Don't miss out on all the services that he provides. But most importantly, I hope you guys just understand the journey and the opportunities because there are many times where he could have looked at it as defeat and gave up. But instead, he, you know, what do you say? What's the (laughs) saying? You turn lemon into lemonade. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: Now, you know what I say? You know, yeah. if you, if the door is locked, jump through the window.
0: Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's uh-huh. a, little, a little toxicity from the party,
1: right? <laughs>
0: right. You can tell you from Baltimore. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Theo.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Of course. <laughs>
0: thank you for listening to my mommy's podcast. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.